Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Hey everybody, this is Jay Nathan. Thanks again for listening to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Uh, really excited about this episode with Lisa Pratt, who's the VP of Customer Engagement Marketing at Kronos. And if you're not familiar with Kronos, they are a 40-year-old human capital management platform company uh, who have gone through a, an amazing transformation from perpetually licensed on-premise technology to the cloud and subscription. And so Lisa helped lead those efforts and that transformation within the business. And we sat down and talked with her. Great conversation. I think there's tons to learn from this. So uh, really excited to share this with you. This is part one of two. And I uh, hope you'll learn something. And please subscribe to the podcast. Welcome to the Game Grow, Retain podcast. Today on the Game Grow, Retain podcast, we're lucky to have uh, someone that I've gotten to know over a couple of years here, uh, Lisa Pratt from Kronos. And her, she, her title today is VP of Customer Engagement Marketing, which is a really cool title that I want to dig into. But um, really, the other thing we want to talk about is this amazing transformation that Kronos has gone through really over the past, what, Lisa, eight years? I'd say, yeah, so. yeah, about that, about that long. So Kronos was founded in 1979, I believe. Yeah, like 40 some company. odd years ago. So um, obviously, you didn't have cloud technology back then or really even the subscription purchasing model back then. So set this up for us. Tell us why did you need to make the transition and you know how, how did this whole thing start? Because it's a really big story. Yeah, so we have been in business, I don't know, 42, 43 years. Our roots are as a traditional kind of license-based software um, business. We are in the um, human capital management, right? So all the software to help manage your, your workforce. Um, and we've always been license-based. and. We, what happened was we did some, you know, well, let me give our, our executives credit for recognizing that, hmm, the space, especially in the small, the, you know, the SMB market was moving to the cloud and that's not where we were. And they recognized that and said, hmm, like we kind of need to, we need to, we need to see where that's going and figure out if that's, if that's, you know, the right place for us. And so we kind of dipped our toe in the water and took our, our traditional license-based product and we essentially like, hosted it and offered it as a, you know, as a SaaS offering, although it was not, you know, truly a multi-tenant product. Right, right. And so, and we really, and so like, and we went to market with that. And um, in, in the process of doing that, we learned a couple of things. We learned that, yes, indeed, the market was going towards cloud and we need to figure out what is our position going to be there? How, how far in do we want to be? The other thing that we realized is that just because you have a cloud product does not mean you're a cloud company. And so right. I think the stuff that we'll talk about this morning is all the other, the other non-technology pieces that we needed to, to attack. So yeah, so we realized, yep, we need to go all in. And so while we were offering our, um, you know, our traditional product in the cloud, we were simultaneously developing a brand new from scratch, game-changing enterprise cloud-only product that was going to be our future. Right. So you, at one point, rewrote the entire platform, which is sort of unheard of, right? I mean, you always hear the stories of Netscape when they tried to rewrite their browser and it sort of tanked Netscape, right? So that's a big risk. Yep. So a question for you on all this. So obviously a big shift when you, when you shift from a perpetually licensed model to a subscription model, 
you, you sort of hit this cliff of revenue, right? Because you don't get to take all your revenue up front anymore. You actually have now have to spread it month by month over the life of the contract. Mm -hmm. So at the same time or near the same time, I think you guys went from being public to being taken private. So how big of a factor was that in helping you actually achieve what you needed to achieve to make this shift? That's a really good point. So we were, yeah, we were, we went private before, before, just before all this happened. Um, you know, I will say, and this is certainly not the topic for, for this podcast, but we are very fortunate in that our investors are believe in us. They believe in our strategic knowledge, in our executives, they trust us. And we kind of, you know, we are, you know, the executive team laid this all out and our, our owners were, they were, okay, if this is what we need to do, like, let's make the right investments. Let's, so they were completely behind us and they knew the potential for the tanking of the revenue. Now I am happy to say that for a variety of reasons that never happened to us, no. right? I mean, we had yeah. such, I mean, we are the market leader in workforce management. So we had such a huge um, customer base. We have thousands of customers, a billion and a half in revenue. So we had enough customers that were still paying maintenance that were still in the, in the old business to kind of, fill that revenue pothole, if you will, um, as we were kind of migrating our customers to the cloud. So it kind of evened out. We were really yeah. fortunate. Yeah, very fortunate. I mean, I was with a company, um, also some similar investors at, at the time. I was with a company for nine years that, you know, they're still making this transition to the cloud. And, you know, it's, it, they are publicly traded. And I think that was always one of the biggest concerns is how do we, you know, accelerate through that pothole? I like how you call that a pothole. I mean, cause it's exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you accelerate through that? And it seems like you had enough momentum in the market just to be able to not even really worry about that. We did. Well, we had enough revenue that was not tied to the, you know, our transition to the cloud that was able to kind of get us over that. Let's start then down this path of, of the other thing. So we, you started with the technology, you took the on-premise stuff, you hosted it in the cloud, seen that happen too. It's a really interesting approach, but you learned a lot from it. Mm -hmm. You had like $25 million on that, on that product, right? Is what I read in, in yeah. the document you shared with me. I mean, that's the size of some small companies. A lot right, of right, yeah. <laughs> so, but then it, it seems like as I read through this document, and, and is this document public? Can we share this? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay, in awesome. fact, it's, it's on the Kronos website. It is, yes, please. Okay, I'm, good. If I had, yes, I need to create some more time to, to get it out there, but please share it. Well, we'll help. Yeah. So th this is, this document, just for those listening for the first time, is really the story of this whole transformation, beautifully documented and some of the factors. But as I read through it, it was like you guys were peeling back the onion as you, you started with the technology, but then what did you find, right? There, there were some other, yeah. you started to, to see all the dominoes behind that, that needed to fall to really make the shift to a subscription model as opposed to perpetual. Yes, absolutely. So what happened was when we kind of went, we said, okay, we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to offer our traditional license, you know, in the cloud. We know this is the future of our company. We need, but we like, we need to make this attractive for both our salespeople to go out and sell it and to our customers yeah. who want to want to buy it. So I'll never forget that, you know, we had our big annual sales kickoff and we rolled out these incentives um, to, um, well, we kind of put some sweeteners for the, you know, quota credit in place for the sales folks. And then we put some offers out there for customers. So, um, you know, like for example, you could have up to three free months if you bought in the cloud rather than on-prem. And, you know, and, in, you know, in addition to salespeople, we get an extra kicker in their, in their quota credit. It, Lisa, did, did you start with new customers only? Um, we started, well, no, we started with new customers, but then there was also an incentive for existing customers to flip to the cloud. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We were offering it for both. And, um, 
so anyway, so, you know, as a, you know, good salespeople, they're like, oh, you know, I can totally go out and sell this. And, you know, it's good for my customers. It's good for me. So instantly somebody goes out, they sell one of these deals. It comes back to us at corporate. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, wait a second. What did we mean when we said three free months? Do we mean that you pay for 12 and you get 15 or you pay for nine and you get 12? And oh yeah, by the way, we're a product company. So none of our internal systems are even set up to give away anything for free. And so we realized at that point <laughs> that just because we like had a product to go to market with did not mean that the rest of the business was at all set up in order to, to, right. to do this. But the problem became we weren't a SaaS, really a SaaS company, we had a SaaS offering. So we didn't know what those things were. Like we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, and so we ended up bringing some consultants in to help us figure out, okay, if you hear all the different, like hear all the different things that you're gonna need to change in your business if you truly wanna be a SaaS company, because we didn't know what those things were. Um, and so that kind of was the, the beginning of the, of, the, of the path for us. And they, it was very, and that, that I was the, the lead on that project. It was very uncomfortable, I can tell you that. They peeled back the onion on every single one of our functional areas. And these are areas that were like high performing for a traditional license-based yeah. company. Yeah, exactly. We're clearly not going to be cutting it at, for our move to the cloud. And we had right. a lot of people's babies got called ugly. And yeah. it, was, it was really tough um, to hear um, but we thank, you know, thankfully, um, we decided to really look to the future and um, kind of embrace those recommendations. And then we spent three years implementing them. Wow. Well, I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed of with that, right? I mean, you would, you would think because it was built for a different model. Exactly. But, but I think if people, if people think that software is software and, it, you know, you just flip to a different delivery mechanism, then it, it's the same thing. But it's just really not. It's actually a service as opposed to a product now. Exactly. So like the concepts of, you know, like we used to get all the money up front. So like, you know, if it took us a little longer to implement, you know, well, so be it, you know, customers now are very angry if that happens, right? Because they're yeah. paying, right? They're paying annual in advance. And so like the dynamics are different. And so I think that it, part of it was just that, I mean, Kronos is an excellent company. It's a great place to work. And so we tend to have a lot of long timers who have, you know, like, it's, you know, the old model was familiar and comfortable. And wait a second, I like my team has been high performing, like being seen as high performing for years. How, how is it that you're suddenly telling me that this isn't good enough anymore? So there was, right. I think there was a lot of like, this was one of those cases where I think sometimes our history held us back. Um, I'm really happy to say that we were able to, you know, through really strong leadership in our company who were like, guys, this is our future. So let's celebrate our past, but like, let's look towards the future. Cause there was, um, you know, it was, it was uncomfortable, especially since this is the other thing we're doing this from a point of strength. We had just had, we like have never not had revenue growth at, for any quarter in our history. And right. so we're doing this from, from a standpoint of like, we're doing, we're doing really, really well, but we still, but we know our future looks different as opposed to we're having problems. This is like yeah. a burning platform. So it's a, yeah. even harder to get people on board when things are going well. Yeah, exactly. Why would you change? Yeah, exactly. Well, and the other thing, I just thought of this, but I mean, 2014, you know, 2013, 2015, you were in the middle of a huge economic recovery at that time too. So you had like all this tailwind behind you. Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Well, and the economy was doing well. Obviously, those two things go together, but um, yeah. there, there couldn't have been a better situation to just sit back and, and enjoy that, right? Yeah, right. Our investors were happy, and yes, exactly. Yeah. So it was. It I really I think took some chutzpah to say, you know what, we are, we are gonna rock the boat. And when yeah. the boat stops rocking this, you know, this time, like we're gonna be like on a cruise ship instead of a tugboat, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, as I was reading this document too, I, I was thinking, 
wow, th- there were a couple of burn the, burn the boats moments here too, where like, we're going to go to this island, we're going to this new place and we're burning, we're staying, right? Like, let's burn the boats behind us. We're not leaving. So, I mean, the fact that you did that in the good times is, is really impressive. Now, you, you had to establish um, a, a transformation office, something centralized to help drive all this change at some point. Um, it, it, this is something that we've been doing with our clients. We call it a, a customer strategy team, but it's, it, I love the way that this document puts it, and I'll read it, and then I'll let you talk about it. It says, um, you know, one of the lessons learned here is that you establish a transformation program rather than a series of independent projects that stand, uh, you know, standalone work streams are not as powerful or as impactful as a centralized program that considers and consolidates or coordinates, excuse me, all the projects as a cohesive whole against the strategy. So tell me about the TMO because that seems like a, it yeah. was a linchpin for you. In, it, in it absolutely was because in some cases, so we hired, you know, we hired consultants. They kind of came in and said, here are the 45 different things that you need to change in order to truly be a world-class SaaS company. And they kind of, you know, then put all the 45 different things into six work streams and we kind of attacked them all. But some of the things in there were not necessarily brand new ideas. And there were cases where like, oh yeah, we got two people working on that nights and weekends in their garage. I mean, so there was definitely some places where people had been starting down that path or kind of thinking and, and, you know, there was, we had start with a little bit of like, well, wait a second. Well, like, wait, that's not a new idea or that's, you know, and, but, but then once we were able to demonstrate how all of the pieces fit together and a transformation is not about making a couple of incremental changes within a, one functional area. It's when you put all of those things together that that's what's going to get us where we want to go. And so kind of it did a couple of things. It, first of all, it sent a much be- a bigger message to the entire company, right? This is a big thing. We are putting resources against it. We have branded it. Our executives are talking about, this is not a series of small projects. This is a large programmatic initiative. So it really helped with the employee communication piece of it. The other thing, frankly, I was able to get additional resources for some of these kind of side projects because it it was put under the protective umbrella of being part of the transformation office and not being a side pro- uh, project. So it absolutely elevated the visibility of every one of the initiatives. It, it, it made people want to work on them. Hey, is it like I was getting like emails or people were stopping me in the halls. Hey, is there anything I can do to get involved? Like it just, it ele- just absolutely elevated the entire, the entire effort. And yeah, there were times where I was like, someone's like, oh boy, I'd like to make more progress on this. We don't have enough resources. I'm like, wait, I can get you some resources. So I'm getting head counter, money, awesome. or, you know, whatever. So it really yeah. complete. And I think, our ability to do that also then sped up the, you know, our, our getting to the end game, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so yeah. you ran that whole office like that. that I was ran really- that whole office for three years. Because yeah. this document talks about uh, how Kronos appointed a full-time head of the TMO to over- oversee the, it, the program and set the priorities. The company chose a seasoned professional with a proven track record for working cross-functionally. Like that was yeah, you. that was me. I, I will say I was not the writer for this. I was very flattered <laughs> by those words, though. <laughs> no, it's awesome. But uh, so the cross-functional piece of this, it's a little. I mean, it's a little bit of a cliche term, but it's critical, right? I mean, I always talk about SaaS companies in particular. They're, they're such a, a team-based sport because you have it's like a football team. You have people who can run the ball. You have people who block on the front line. You have people who can catch the ball and run really, really fast. You got a quarterback. SaaS companies are the same way. You have product engineers, you have product managers, you have marketing, you have sales, you have customer success. I mean, you couldn't imagine a more diverse group of talent in an organ in, in, in a lot of organizations. I know a lot of companies have this kind of diversity and skill set, but it seems to be really pronounced in, in SaaS. And they have to work closer together, I think, 
than in any other industry almost in the world because the whole thing depends on each link of the chain working well. So what were you doing prior to this that, that gave you that credibility as a cross-functional leader to run this thing? Yeah, so I am... Um... Uh, so I have kind of an interesting background, which could be a whole other topic. So, um, so I actually was hired here. I'm a quantitative person. I was hired here as a statistician. And um, we had done a pricing um, study with some consultants and market research, which was one of the things I owned, um, was part of that. And they said, hey, Lisa, will you please um, be part of that team? And I'm like, okay, I, you know, I, can, I, I can do that. And I was part of the, you know, the core team. And at the end, you know, where, you know, the consultants say, here's the 10 things you need to do to you know, improve your pricing structure. And at the end of that, our pricing director quit. And they said, hey, Lisa, since you were like, we've got to get this stuff in before the, our next fiscal year, since you were on the core team, could, we just, could, we, could you just program manage these pricing initiatives? And I said, all right, I don't have a pricing background, but if you need somebody who can manage a portfolio of projects, communicate well and work cross-functionally, Sure, I'll, you know, I'll do it. Anyway, so I did that for like six months until we hired a new pricing director. But anyway, that kind of established me as somebody who could work cross-functionally and manage a complex portfolio of projects. So then I started getting tapped for these other kinds of strategic types of initiatives that required those skills. So again, like I give our executives huge kudos for saying, wait a second, these are skills that we value, even though she's in a totally different role and that's not her area of expertise, we want to tap into those skills. Let's yank her from what she's doing and put her on these things that are of more strategic yeah. importance. So yeah. I ended up kind of falling into it just because they recognized that these skills could be better used elsewhere. Right, so. right. So awesome. Yeah, pricing can impact so many different things, even if you're not changing your whole business model. So yeah, the fact that, that you already had that experience really positions you well. That's amazing. So one of the things that, that is talked about here, and, and I know as part of this, is you talk about this culture shift to being more customer-centric. So were you not customer-centric before? Or was it just that the business model was allowed you to be more loose and happy there? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, Kronos has always cared about our customers. You can't have as many customers as we do if you don't, if you don't care about them. Right. But I think it's different to have people who are customer-facing be good with customers versus have it be part of your culture and part of your DNA and oh, yeah. recognize that even though I'm not customer facing, if I were to design that process differently, that would be more, that would help the customer get more value or that would help make Kronos easier to do business with for the customer. It's, it's that whole taking everybody inside the organization and getting them to think is everything I'm doing either trying to add value for a customer or make things easy for a customer, regardless of whether or not I'm customer facing. So I think our, in the past, our customer facing folks were very good with customers. Yep. But the rest of us didn't necessarily always have our customer hats on in everything we do. And that's where the whole culture, and that's where the, if you can get all your people to really do that, then you're operating totally differently. And that's when you're truly customer first. Yeah, yeah. So give me an example of one, of one you probably have a hundred examples of yep. this, but of one, process that went from being more like internally focused on Kronos to being more customer centric throughout through this transformation. Okay. So here, I'll give you an example of a big one and an example of a small one. So okay. you know, the listeners want to start Perfect. big or start small, they can. So in a, in a big one, it was all around time to value, right? So in the yeah. past, our approach was, okay, we're going to need to put the software in. You sit down with the customer and you say, you tell, tell us what you want. You kind of start from scratch and you collect their requirements. Well, a couple of problems with that. One, is that that takes a long time to start over all the time. And we've done this thousands of times. Why like, can't we streamline? And that makes it easier for customer, like, you know, everybody wants to get live faster. But the other, but the other piece for, of that, which is a little more, it's more subtle, but more important in building that SaaS relationship is 
if we pre I don't pre-populate or if we're or if we're taking more of a lead type of approach to the implementation and if we go in and say instead, hey, we've implemented in hundreds of other, you know, let's pretend it's a grocery store, a customer. We've we've already implemented in hundreds of other grocery stores. This is what best in class looks like. Let's start there and talk about how this may or may not work for your business, but let's bake some of these best practices in. And it will A, save us time because we've already pre-configured some of that. And the second thing is we're helping the customer have a better solution because we've already taken all of our past experience and we pre-populated it in there. And then we right. can kind of tweak it as, you know, you know, to fit their business. But that's going from a, you know, order taking you know, a tell us what you want to a let us lead and consult with you and you're going to get a better, you know, a better solution faster. So right. that, but, but that requires different skills. That requires more consultative skills. It was definitely a lot of work on our part to go back and kind of pull all that together and kind of come up with the best practices. Um, but so that's kind of, that was a, that was big, right? So there's a big example. And we do, yeah. you, know, we, you know, we brand it like that is now our methodology and we brand it and we talk about it and we're like, this is how, like, this is how we do it here. So here's a small example. So in our voice of the customer um, program, um, so and I'll just pick on one of the surveys. So we obviously, you know, training is a very important part um, of our, you know, of helping our customers get live and successful. So, and so we do, we do a survey after all of our training classes. And when I looked at the surveys, I realized it's all about us right? Was the trainer effective? Were the training materials effective? Was the, you know, um, I know it was all about kind of like logistics yeah. and all that kind of thing. And I, yeah. so I kind of looked at it and I said, but what we don't know is at the end of this, is the customer, can, can they successfully run payroll? They get the value. I would, yeah. rather, I would rather have a whatever, not as fancy training materials, but somehow you know, as long as they can get the payroll run rather than, yeah, the right. notebook looked nice, but I'm not quite sure what to do at the other end. So anyway, so we kind of, we're, so we're re-looking at all of our surveys to find 10, and now we're asking instead, how was that experience with us going to help you, like, is that going to help you achieve your outcomes? As yeah. Opposed, as yeah. opposed to, tell us how we did so that we can change up our process. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Pat right. ourselves on the back. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that's I mean, awesome. I actually wrote out the word outcomes focus. When you were talking about that, it, mm -hmm. it's not about us anymore. It's about the results that they're able to get. And it's, it seems like a subtle shift, but that's a big shift. Right? It actually is a big shift in some cases because um, our internal stakeholders use that to figure out like what processes do we need to like, you know, like they need to know, like, do I need to change up the training notebook or whatever? And also um, for some of these, um, there's compensation tied to it. Right. So like our support folks. Right. So they yeah. are they are compensated based on the scores that they get on those surveys back from the support experience, the trainers. Wow. Are, right. So there's con there is compensation tied to it. So there's definitely like we had to leave some questions in. Um, but just, yeah, it is it, it was a, a, a shift for sure. And yeah, and rewriting all the questions and then kind of getting buy in. Um, but I think it's the right thing to do. Right. At the end of the day, all that matters in a SaaS world is does that customer feel like they can be successful? I want to go back to the thing you were talking about on time to value for a minute. I noticed at least it's in, in this, in this uh, story that you shared with me, it's outline is really a top level item. Time, time to value is sort of huge there. And what you described a minute ago on that, it, it, it speaks to skill set changes, probably new and different people in there. So again, it comes back to the people aspect of this. Yep. Did you, did you retrain your existing team or did you augment them with outside help? Did you build new processes that they had to follow? Because there's a difference in messaging there that's pretty profound in terms of what they need to accomplish with the client to, to get them across the finish line and feel good about where they are. So how did you handle that one? 
Yeah, I mean, I will say it was a, it was definitely a combination. There were, you know, yeah. you know, like like we got some long timers that are like, oh, you know, no, no, you know, like I, you know, I, I'm already familiar with these documents and these processes, and so there was there was some of that, but there was a, there was a lot of training. There was a lot. Of, it was very a very thoughtful. Okay, what kind of skills are gonna if we're gonna go to, if we're gonna have our methodology kind of be more consultative? What kind of skills do people need to have? Um, right. So there was consulting training, and um, and also because. Kronos is taking on a bigger part of the burden of getting them up and live, right? We're not like augmenting their IT staff, which is what sometimes happens in an on-prem implementation. We're like, we're owning it. So we're like, we really need to up our project management skills. So we implemented a project management boot camp, And so like, you know, we did, we went through and said, what, like, what are all the skill changes or, you know, new skills or, you know, morphing skills. And we put training um, and enablement programs in place. But there was, there was also some, um, you know, we need more people who have these skills to come in and other people were not as comfortable with the, you know, kind of the new methodology. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just kind of part of it. Yeah. How big was the company? I, I should have asked you this to begin with. How many employees did you have at the time when this is, when this is all happening? Um, that's a good question. So I'm going to say we had about 4,800 maybe. Okay. So you're thousands. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We're fairly large. Yeah, so we were probably when this all. St- we, I mean, we were probably a billion dollars when this all started, and we're about one point four, one point five billion now. Amazing. So yeah, teaching thousands of people how to do and operate differently is just. I mean, it's it's hard with a couple hundred. You know, <laughs> much and, less thousands. Yeah, and I will say um, that was by far the hardest part. Partly for me because as somebody who's built their career, frankly, as a statistician, like this is this is like the softer stuff is not like where my roots have been. I've really adapted well, but, um, but yeah, no. And so when we had originally hired the consultants that helped us kind of think about the, you know, the transformation office and what that looked like, they had actually said like, don't underestimate kind of the organizational piece. And I'm like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember when we were kind of staffing up the TMO, I'm like, okay, I'll lead the whole, the whole TMO and okay, we need somebody to run the metrics practice. I'll, I'll do that too, because like, I'm a quantitative person. And I remember they said, they cautioned me. They're like, you're going to have to spend so much of your time going out and educating people and talking to people. And, you know, I was like, yeah, no, like talking to people isn't a job. Holy cow. I was so wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. It yeah. is. It, it was really, yeah, there was a, um, but then, you know, I had, I'm just going to digress here for a sec, but I had a, like an epiphany about halfway through this. Um, one of the things that I was doing um, was a lot of employee communication and so, you know, people would ask me to come talk to their staff or their all hands meeting or whatever. So I was at um, one in uh, presenting to a staff meeting in professional services. And afterwards, um, the director who had asked me to do this, you know, said, hey, no, I just really want to thank you. And um, this was all lovely, but can I give you some candid feedback? And I said, well, of course, I'm always looking for candid feedback. And he said, everything you said, you know, resonated and it was the right stuff and it you know, helped explain. However, it would have been so much more powerful if it had come out of the mouths of the functional leaders within professional services, or if like, uh, they come from our leadership and our yep. managers, it would have been more powerful because we would have known, okay, this is something that matters to my functional area. This isn't just another thing coming down from corporate. And for me, that was a, a huge aha moment. I went back to my office, I pulled in my communications um, people and I said, okay, new strategy here. We now need to figure out, we need to put together materials that can be cascaded down through and push it out to the functional leadership and it can be, you know, cascaded down. We need meetings in a box for managers so they can be having these conversations with their yeah. teams. So, so yeah. it changed the whole nature of how we got the message out. And um, I'm 
forever grateful to that person for, for just saying, hey, look, like, I'm just going to keep it real here. This is how you could be more effective. And it, 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 um, it also got, got me out of the business of having to go to a lot of, <laughs> so it freed me up to do some other stuff, but, but it was the right thing. It was the right thing to do. Um, and I would not have known that. So, man. So the lesson there is if you're thinking something, share it constructively because that could be really, really valuable. I mean, that was a turning point. It seems like in, in the whole communication strategy yeah, around this. Absolutely was absolutely. Man, that's awesome. You obviously weren't running around. I mean, it sounds like you were doing a little of this in the early days, but you weren't just scattershot going to people's meetings when they asked and doing this. What was the communication plan? Like, yep. did you have a, you know, a, a company cadence that you kept around this? And, you know, was it incorporated into all, all staff meetings? Was it incorporated into, you know, the different layers of the organization in different ways? How did you think about the overall uh, communication plan from a tactical day-to-day perspective? Yeah, so... Um, I was very fortunate in that the executive sponsor for this happened to be the chief marketing officer. Um, and that happened due to his long tenure and good relationships and whatever. And he really um, values branding and communication. So I had a full-time communications person on my team just wow. communicating about this. So that's, you know, the first thing. So, but yeah, so um, it started with, um, I remember like as soon as we decided to do this, it just so happened. It was like one of our quarterly ops review meetings. It's kind of like the top hundred people in the company and our CEO, started right there and he's like guys this is what we're going to do um some of it might be uncomfortable you may or may not like it but this is the direction our company is going so get on board so like it started there and then yeah we had regular we um corporate kickoffs you know annual uh fiscal year kickoff meetings um either myself or the executive sponsor was on all of the agendas kind of saying hey guys this is what we're doing this is new this is why this is different this is why we're doing that so that was a um a good starting point as well we had a blog, we had um, uh, a video series that various ones of uh, various executives talked about what this meant for their area. Um, we um, were at the, one of the first things that we did was we were implementing Salesforce and we went live with Chatter first, despite the fact that the Salesforce people said that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but we went with live with Chatter first because we knew we needed to have a, 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 have a platform to be able to have cross-functional communication. So we had regular Chatter posts and if you want to know what's going on, you know, like we're talking about it all the time. Like if you want to know what's going on, I ha- so I had a, um, I had a, a group in chatter that um, I'm like, I'm not going to force everybody to be in it. I had thousands of people sign up for it. And so I would post, wow. I would post regularly every quarter I post, I had a big master visual uh, project plan and I posted, um, I showed everybody exactly where we were um, in terms of progress. So yeah, we had a really aggressive um, and also, you know, it's so like at our big annual sales kickoff, we had, booths and giveaways and 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 we branded it and we were very consistent was make the shift and we had a logo and we used the branding so everybody knew right and we, we actually would call it we're like oh make the shift yeah yeah so had a name you, had you a have name. to name these things um <clears throat> yeah that, that's great so the majority of people listening to our conversation here will probably say oh well that that's great i mean chronos is a billion dollar company when they did this you know for god's sake lisa had a she had a full-time communications person but a lot of this stuff that you're talking about you needed to have some dedicated resource because of the scale of this thing. But right. a lot of what you described can still be done on a smaller scale in oh, my mind. Like get an iPad out and have your executive just do a 30 second, like top of mind. Like here's why this is important. And then post it out wherever you share. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We've got Slack for, for chat. A lot of companies do at this point, you know, you can make a video on your iPhone. It doesn't need to be professional grade. Right. Like, you know, look at LinkedIn. I mean, people are posting all kinds of stuff shot right on their iPhones Yeah, you know, and having great success with it, writing a blog. That's not hard. No. Just send out an email too, right? I mean, that, yep. that, 
just an email update. Everybody's going to listen to that and then incorporate it into your, your company meetings. I think the bigger thing is making sure that there's alignment so that the CEO or the, the executive sponsor knows what to say and what, what's being positioned and, and what the messaging is. That and like be consistent. You need a steady drip of this stuff, right? And if you're right, if it's a smaller company, you just have less places you got to drip. Um, yep. But yeah, no, just like be, be consistent. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna call it something, always call it the same thing because then, right? So like all you had to do was say, make the shift and everybody knew, oh, that's right, that's, that's those six work streams. You may or may not be able to name all the six work streams, but you know yep. what it is. So just be consistent and have that steady drip. And otherwise it's just gonna, it's just gonna appear as like flavor of the day. Yeah, right. I think, you know, Patrick Lencioni, if you know who he is, yeah, right, writes about, you know, you communicate everything and then you communicate it again and then you communicate it again because people don't get it until six, seven, eight, 12, 15 times. They don't. And we definitely had, I mean, I don't want anybody to think like that Cronus is, does everything right. I like, I definitely was in the CMO's office and saying, I don't know what else I can do. We've got chatter. We got videos. We got blogs. I'm on the stage. I'm do, we're doing this. We're doing that. We got t-shirts. We got posters, we got, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I still run into people who are like, what's make the shift. I'm like, I don't know what else I can do. And he finally had to say like, okay, well, you know, there are some people who are just not going to get on board and like we've given them every opportunity and they're going to find themselves in a career limiting position here at Kronos if they don't want to get on board with where our future is, or if they want to put their head in the sand, like that, like that is, you know, somehow going to not be to their advantage, but there's not like, there's like, there is a point at which they're, you know, he was like, there's nothing else you can do. Well, I guess it's the same with marketing. There's just some people who are never going to listen, right? Exactly. Sadly, yes. You would think if your CEO is going to say this is what it's going to be, everybody would listen. But, you know, and also we're global. So yeah. we got, you know, time zones and people are, some people are, you know, far from the customers or far from corporate or whatever. So yeah. those, those things didn't help either. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.